Welcome, friends, to The Hero Beside Me, the podcast that seeks to explore the professional and private lives of working dogs of all kinds. For thousands of years, humans and canines have shared a special bond and an essential partnership, which continues to grow in importance in our society today. Dogs are helping humans in a myriad of ways, performing essential tasks that only they can perform. The more we learn about them, the more endless their potential seems to be. It is my goal to document the way these amazing animals are making an indelible mark on our world with their astonishing abilities, incredible drive, insatiable zest for life, and unconditional love, which they generously bestow upon their humans. Join me as I explore the wonder of these canine heroes beside us. If you were raised in the 70s, 80s, or 90s in America, you probably remember the stop-motion animation film Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer that was broadcast on television every Christmas season. At one point in this film, Rudolph and his friends Hermie and Yukon Cornelius discovered the Island of Misfit Toys, which was a place where toys that had some sort of oddity about them were banished because no children wanted to play with them. The subject of today's episode reminds me of the Island of Misfit Toys. Rancho Luna Lobos a dog rescue near Park City, Utah, is home to over 70 dogs who weren't finding much success at being pets for various reasons. Most of them are Nordic breeds, like Siberian Huskies, Alaskan Huskies, or wolf hybrids, but not all of them. Luna Lobos, which means moon wolves in Spanish, exists not only to give these dogs a home and a family, but also to give them a purpose and a new lease on life. is a dog sled touring kennel and a racing kennel and rescue kennel. So we specialize in the Nordic breeds and uh, we specialize in rehabilitation as well. So a lot of the dogs we get here are um, come from either abusive backgrounds or just families that can't handle the, the dogs again or the dogs in general, especially with the Nordic breeds in them. They're a little too high strung, a little too chaotic. So more often than not, we find them in shelters. And Dan and I go and pluck them out of shelters and try to work with them. When you say Nordic breed, you mean Huskies, Malamutes? Yeah, so Siberian Huskies, Malamutes. Um, the most difficult ones that we have are the wolf hybrids. That is, uh, it's a growing uh, problem because a lot of people see the shows like Game of Thrones. And they're like, I want a piece of the wild in my apartment. <laughs> we have found out through these Nordic breeds that they're so pack-oriented that if we give them sort of a job to do and channel I don't want to change their personality, so to speak. I just want to help them channel it. So if they're crazy and they're destroying an apartment, if I can te teach them to somehow work together with another group of dogs by pulling a sled, it becomes sort of a therapy for them. And that's the one thing I can't coach is a dog, uh, or excuse me, is the driving passion to want to pull. The dog has to have that. And if they have that, I can direct it. I can teach them anything else, but I can't teach them that initial pull and drive. So if we do get a dog, which we have quite often, that doesn't like to pull, then we take our time and find them a home with an active family so that they can have a good success rate. If it doesn't work out with them, they sign a contract stating they'll bring it back to me. We have two different groups in, of sled dogs in our kennel. So we have race team and tour dog. The race team is a little more complicated because you have to find a dog 
that can handle running 35 to essentially 40 miles in distance day after day after day and be able to bounce back and run it and feel good and also have a good appetite and eat it and eat their food for recovery. And it's so high stress in that sense of like, you know, um, running fast and running hard. The dogs love it, but it is harder on their body. So being able to recover is, is you know, it, it's very hard to find that quality. So then you have your tour dogs that love to run, but they're not quite as fast or as efficient as a race dogs. Um, so we have the tour dogs that will usually give people rides around the ranch and the property to show what we do here and for rides. So the, the biggest thing about our ranch shows, we're not like a, a circus show and says like, oh, jump on the carousel. Let's go for a ride. And then, all right, next. All right. And then next, you know, we want to. That's why we're so big on education and our kennel tours. We want people to come and see what the sport of dog sledding really is than what is the rumor about it. Right. It's It's pure. The sport is pure. It has, there are people that have very good intentions about how to handle the dogs and work with the dogs. Unfortunately, there are some bad apples out there and it seems like they're the ones that get all the attention. So Dana and I and our crew, we're trying to shine the light saying, no, it is done well if it's with the right people. So what's dog sledding all about anyway? My friend Caitlin and I were able to accompany one of Luna Lobos's mushers, Amanda, on a tour, along with a family that was visiting the ranch for a fun and unusual adventure. We're going to start hooking on the dogs. Fernando, his wife Dana, and our tour guide Amanda harnessed the dogs came up to an ATV as the snow was not deep enough for the dogs to pull a sled. The dogs were excited and ready to go. One pup, Stephen, could hardly contain himself. He was jumping up and down with his front two paws and emitting a sound that was reminiscent of a sea lion. We climbed into the ATV, which drove behind the dog team, who was harnessed to it, but not actually pulling right, it, of course. It out. It's going to be kind of loud and crazy. Oh, it's going to be Ready? Crazy. Ready? Okay, let's go. Let's go. There we go. There we go. All right. We are on our way. All right, so on our team today, up front on the right is Miss Kira. On the left is Montana. Running by himself is Balder. And then right in front of us on the right, that's Miss Harley Quinn. And on the left is Steven. Now, Steven was an apartment dog. And you notice he's really loud. That didn't go over too well in the apartment complex. So that's why he ended up with us. <laughs> the mom said she had no idea what she was getting into adopting a husky. Very vocal dogs, especially him. Because <laughs> they have so much drive and so much energy. They've been bred to run for so long. So if you don't provide an outlet for them, just like with any dog, it's gonna come out in bad ways. Up front, you have your leads. Those are typically your smartest dogs, generally female. Uh, and they're gonna be listening to me. And they're typically gonna be very humble because uh, what they do is gonna like trickle down into the rest of the team. I need my leads to be focused. They can't be chasing deer. They can't be antagonizing other teams that were going to be passing by. Behind the leads, we have our swing. So that would be Balder today. He's like an alternative lead. So if I have any issue with my lead dogs, I can switch them out real fast. Also, ideally, if my lead dogs just aren't getting it, the swing will swing them in the correct direction. Anywhere from one to 14 or more in the middle would be your team dogs. And then right in front of us would be wheel. They're going to be your strongest and they're going to be really calm because it can be really scary to have this on your heels or a sled on your heels. 
So if a guy, if we put a dog in a wheel and they're kind of freaking out, maybe that's not the best spot for them. At various parts of the trail, we'd occasionally pass a scarecrow in a tree. Amanda explained that these were planted to get the dogs used to ignoring distractions. If they became thirsty along the way, they'd help themselves to a mouthful of snow. Amanda said this was known as dipping. So they just eat snow and they are thirsty? Yeah, it's called dipping. It helps them cool down their core temperature. So this weather is like pretty hot for them. They're pretty warm right now. Stephen likes to eat the crow. <laughs> so we set these crows up as distractions on the trail because we want them running past distractions. If we're running a tour or Fernando's running a race and they go chasing a squirrel, it's not a good day. And we've had, I've had deer go running by when I'm doing these tours and they all stay very focused. Sledding is a good physical and mental activity for these guys. Physical, obviously they're running. And then mental, they have a purpose, they have a place to be, they gotta stay focused, they have to work together. All right, we're gonna loop up here and we'll come back and stop for a few minutes. After the tour, we caught up with Fernando to learn more about the rescue and to hear about dog sled raising in general. We were outside during this conversation so you may hear the wind or traffic in the background. Dog sled racing, you have your sprint races and your long distance races. We've competed in both. The long distance races require a lot of time, effort, and a ridiculous amount of money if you really want to compete well. I did a rod, you have to run two 300 mile races and one, two, two, one, and one 200 mile race in order to qualify. A veterinarian will come and assess your dogs. You have to finish in the top 50 percentile. I mean, the vets are so on cue about like, all right, your dogs look good. They look healthy. They're running well. You, you can pass to run this crazy long race. Even though if we were to qualify, it would cost us. And Dana and I have ran through the numbers so many times year after year. Like, what can we do? The, the, the most affordable cost would be about $80,000 for one season. What? Yes, $80,000. And they say more people have actually summited Mount Everest then there are mushers to complete Iditarod. Not win it, but just complete it. It is so difficult. Well, for listeners who know nothing about dog sled racing, what is the Iditarod? Iditarod is a 1,049-mile race across the state of Alaska. And it's split up into, you know, there's 26 different checkpoints, 24 depending on which route they go that year. And uh, it's, it's really well-maintained. There's hundreds of veterinarians throughout the course. It's a very well-safe race, or well-organized race and safe race. But it is one of the most toughest and difficult things to do on planet Earth, I feel like, yeah, for both man and dogs. And now we have the sprint racing world, which is so competitive because a lot of more mushers can compete in it, and it's really affordable. There's a, the Pedigree Stage Shop Challenge, which is like the World Series of Sled Dog Racing. It's eight days long. It's 35 days, or excuse me, 35 miles a day, and it's fast. It's really fast. It's highly competitive, and the dogs thrive off of that. And then you have your world championships. So the world championships is our, our Olympics. The best of the best of the best will go and you get to see where your dogs rank within the, within the best. How much time do you have to spend training every week? That's a great question. So with the race team, it's not so demanding. I need to spend at least three days a week training the dogs. And we're running, starting in September, we're building one to three miles three times a week. Right now we're running 20 to 25 miles three times a week. And our averages, like today, we finished at 16.2 miles an hour for our run is it dangerous it can be it can be like in terms of like wrecking and uh -huh. crashing yeah it can be uh, there's been plenty of times where i've been going down a hill and 
you catch an edge, it's easy to overcorrect. And the dogs and I have an agreement if I'm dragging, they'll stop for me. But sometimes they don't. Yeah, so I have to kind of survive a little bit and kind of make things happen to <laughs> get back on the skis. Is it physical for you? Is it a workout for it's the mushroom? the most grueling workout in the world. Yeah, it's, you know, a lot of people have the assumption that we just stand on the back of the sled and the dogs pull us like straight up mountain passes. I mean, if you want to be efficient, you want to be fast, every little notch, whether it's 10 feet or 100 meters, I'm sprinting as fast as I can up the hill just so the dogs don't have to carry my 175 pound body, right? Make them more efficient on them. And then I'll jump on the sled when we hit the, hit the top of the notch and then catch my breath and we go back, yeah. So this is a whole lifestyle, really. Yes, for us, you know, dog sledding, we say, we say dog sledding to us is a work of art because there's nothing like, you get these mod podge of dogs. This dog has this strength, this dog has a different strength and the same with the rest of the team. And you try to work them together and the way it works and especially when everything comes together and they're running fluid, Ah, it's just like, it's like artwork, right? You're just working together. It's like you're one body. Even when I'm holding onto the sled, we're connected to like one body. Like they think what I'm thinking. I think what they're thinking. It's almost telepathic. It sounds cheesy, but you can feel their energy and they can feel yours. kind of a coach to your team and you seem to have a knack for finding the talent in each dog and figuring out where that can play out best on on the sled dog team and um, nurturing their potential their individual potential so talk to us a little bit about that and how you are able to get to know each dog and and figure out where they belong I used to run cross-country and track in high school and college and I I see my, um, I was telling my wife, I see myself as like a, a NCAA Division One cross-country coach and where you're recruiting some athletes and, and working with some athletes and building them up. So maybe in a year down the road, they're at that level as everyone else. And that's sort of the same philosophy. Now with me, we get these dogs that were surrendered over. I have one dog that was uh, surrendered over from a house here in Park City. And I have one that was surrendered from Guatemala. I brought him, we, we have him here. And so... The, ironically, the one from Guatemala might be more of a race dog than the one that came to us from Park City. And so, but I, I'm still figuring out his talent. And he's he's sort of like my my project right now. He has a lot of potential. He's got the speed. He's got the build. But I know he doesn't have the confidence quite yet. Whereas I put him on the line, he'll get a little scared and a little timid because everyone's so just excited. He's like, oh my gosh, what's wrong with you guys? So I have to work him up and build him to that point to where he can express himself in a way that he was meant to and be the sled dog and the athlete and most importantly, the individual he was created to be. See, dog sledding is a metaphor, much like life, right? We find our, we find our path and we stick to it and we're able to run strong. But the most important thing is we're there to help others along the way. So it helps like the human pack too, right? If we can show compassion and we can show, um, sort of that uh, fellowship with, with these dogs and they can find that within themselves, we can do the same thing with the human pack and help each other along the way. So much so, I feel like nowadays that we're so competitive with each other that if we were just to help each other come up, I think that would be so much better, just like a dog team. 
we help each other come up. How do you keep track of all the dogs? And <laughs> it's gonna sound sad. I spend like 16 hours a day with them, so I'm always with them. If I'm in my house, my house is about you know 400, 400 meters from the kennels, and we can't see the kennels from our house, but I can tell you exactly who's barking if they are barking. Yeah. And my wife was like, no, you can't. What? But she went up to the kennels with the radio and she's like, all right, there's like 10 of them barking. Who is it? I was like, oh, it's Stephen, Hound, Takatna. You know, and she's like, oh my gosh, you really do not. Yeah. And so, yeah. And I get this question all the time. They're like, so are you like a hypnotist with these dogs and random our guests? And it's like, no, no, no. I, I just, I smell like a dog, I'm sure. So they think, oh, this guy's just one of us, you know. What's so special about dogs in your opinion? You know, the dogs, what they've taught me, and it sounds so simple and cliche, but over the, all the years I've been doing this, and I'm still exercising it to this day, is how to live in the moment, right? Because we, we're so hyped up with everything going around us. Our minds are so scattered thinking where I want to be, where I want, or what I need. But we're not just centered. We're not thinking in the moment. And I think that's so important, you know? And yeah, I, like I've... I've some dogs I've put down and I think about their life and I think about, you know, when it's time for them to move on, they've lived a full life. And I always ask them like, were you happy? Did I do you justice? Would I give you a good life? You know? And I think about all the times that we did well together and we're working together. And it's almost like through their eyes, they can, I can really tell like, Oh yeah. Like this was, this was amazing. Like, thank you so much for what you gave me. And so that, that's what I appreciate them. That's what I appreciate most about them is their true companionship, right? What happens when you have two dogs that don't get along? We've had a few of those. <laughs> Look at these guys. Hey, no drama. Like those guys. <laughs> we just keep them separate. So we have a philosophy that we never set any dogs up to fail. So if we have some dogs that have a little bit of tension or a little beef with each other, we'll never leave them in the dog yard alone. We'll let them play at separate times. So there's never any room for error, if that makes sense, in that way. Nothing in this world is perfect, but if we can control that environment just a little bit, they learn that, hey, you know, life is good. I don't need to be competitive or feel like this one's gonna get after me, or I can be myself. I can take my time, I can eat. I don't have to fight for food. It's always gonna be here. The smelly dog man's gonna come feed me every day, <laughs> you know, and that's, that's the kind of, uh, so yeah, we, we have a few dogs that are mortal enemies, right? <laughs> they, they, they talk a lot of smack, but they never do anything to each other. But even then we try to, like, hey, we don't, I always tell them, hey, we don't talk like that here. That's not very nice. Not nice, yeah. And you were talking about how you have a goal for each dog? We do. And one goal might be, Tsunami, I want you to eat all your food. You know, every meal I put in front of you, because we feed them like a very like fancy, and some dogs are picky and they just want kibble. It was like, hmm, the protein shake, the electrolytes, the meat is really good for you. I need you to eat that, <laughs> yeah. And then some other dogs may be, hey, I know you can be a good lead dog. It may take like two years, but we're gonna get you there. And then other dogs are like, we look at them and we say, you know, you don't like to run. You don't like to be a sled dog, but you're happy to live life. We're gonna find you the best home possible may take a year or two, but we're gonna find you the right one to go home to, yeah. What's your favorite part of dog sled racing? Dog sled racing, I love, uh, long story and a short one, is that, you know, our dog sled sport is in a gray light. But with the racing, we're showing everyone how positive it is, so we're trying to outshine that gray light. A lot of people think that we, like mushers force their dogs to run, like they're forced to get out there and run it. And that's why even when our tours and we're going off on our, on our safaris or dog sled tours, when you watch our dogs run, if one of them stops to use the bathroom, the whole team stops. 
and it just we won't go anywhere so like every dog has to be committed and i think that when people see the racing even as spectators you see the high drive that all these dogs have i'm just like oh my gosh like these these dogs are you know partly possessed they need to get let them run they're gonna chew something up and so that's i feel like brings the, the positive light right brings a positive light in this world Listeners, visit lunalobos.com. They offer tours and day camps for kids. And Fernando says that they have big dreams for the future, including a mushing school for at-risk youth. Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you enjoyed it, please rate and review it and share it with your friends. This podcast exists in support of its sister photography project, by which I am attempting to document every kind of working dog. If you would like to learn more about the project or just say hello, you can get in touch on social at Hero Beside Me or send an email to hello at herobeside.me. Signing off and sending love to you and the furry hero beside you. Come visit us in Utah, Park City. Come play with 70 plus dogs. <laughs> it would be fun. Yeah.